Recorded live. Good evening. This is Bill Stoller on the Jeffrey Winehouse Forum. Now, we could have a uh, uh, some technical problems here. Uh, I've gotten word, and I'm looking at it directly now. It looks like uh, the featured guest, Attorney Warren Markowitz, is in here. I don't know if uh, he knows how to get into the actual call, but I started a little bit early. We also have a couple other guests. Uh, They're in the chat area, not on the call right now. Uh, So that that is a problem. Uh, These uh, check-in technicalities when we do these shows, if they're not not used to this. Um, So I'm just going to... Stay here for a while until uh, I see that the guests are um, are on the call, <clears throat> and there'll be a brief delay here. I'm going to use another phone to get a hold of uh, to get a hold of Attorney Markowitz and uh, and go from there. Thanks. Okay, I'm back. I just tapped out an email to uh, Attorney Warren Markowitz. Looks like there's some confusion, um, which happens when people are not used to this forum. Uh, Looks like uh, 
Attorney Markowitz may have been in the chat room and left there, and he's going to get my email and hopefully be able to get back in here. So uh, we're just going to update. Uh, I'm just going to update right now what's going on with Jeffrey Winehouse, uh, who is serving a 30-year sentence. 30-year sentence, that's a key thing here, very uh, severe sentence. In uh, the Missouri State uh, Correctional System, Bon Terre, that's uh, prison, B-O-N-N-E-T-E-R-R-E, Missouri prison. And at this point, he has exhausted uh, uh, all of his state appeals. That's where uh, Attorney Markowitz comes in. He's handling Jeff's federal appeals handling Jeff's federal appeals, and uh, at this point, he's raising funds. I think they've raised approximately $1,000, so it looks like he could pay the uh, uh, filing fee, which is substantial uh, in a federal appeal. And he has numerous, Attorney Markowitz has numerous uh, uh, constitutional uh, grounds uh, uh, that he's appealing on. This is what we we're going to discuss on tonight's show. Uh, like I said, it looks like there was some confusion when uh, attorney Markowitz called in and uh, some other guests and um, we'll probably have to terminate this and then start over when uh, they're able to figure out the technicalities and get into the actual uh, uh, presentation on TalkShoe.com. We've been doing this for years, so to uh, us it's nothing. Uh, we do have a previous uh, show where I, I think fairly accurately, summed up uh, Jeff's case. Uh, that's on another one of our forums, CT America. You go to www.talkshoe.com forward slash T is in Tom, C is in Charlie, forward slash 125501. That's com forward slash TC forward slash 125501. And, okay, I have somebody here, finally, uh, who's on the call. Uh, it's Warren Markowitz. Oh, hey, Attorney Markowitz. Uh, yeah, I just, uh, Bill Stoller, I just led this in and I saw guests in the chat and nobody on the call. And I figured that you were uh, having some technical problems checking in. Uh, I was... Uh... I followed the link and wound up at the chat window instead of at the uh, the dial-in side, so I wasn't able to figure it out. That's why I sent you that text message. Oh, okay, uh, right. And I I sent an email. Did, when you check in and you're not the host, do they prompt you for the uh, PIN number on, uh, in addition to the call ID? Everything. Uh, oh, okay, once- then. You didn't have the pin. I apologize for that. Uh, I sent the pin in a email. Um, okay, so no. um, I just yeah. Go ahead. No, we were good. I got I got I got everything through. Thank you. <laughs> okay, cool. So um, I just uh, let in the uh, 
uh, the case and and stated that uh, Jeffrey Winehouse has exhausted his state appeals that you raised uh, approximately a thousand dollars plus toward the federal appeal and there's numerous uh, constitutional grounds that you're going to appeal on. Uh, do you want to take over from here? Uh, I can, or we can start it with a question and answer session before we go into it. Uh, I, again, I don't know what you've covered and how much detail you've provided in regards to the case and what's going on. So, um, All right. I, yeah, uh, I, I didn't mean to interrupt, but this, uh, this time around, I've only been in here a few minutes on the call. I started it, and I did a previous show on another one of our forums. And I gave the audience tonight uh, that website, and they can hunt down that Winehouse show, where I uh, spent about uh, 20 minutes, I think. This is a couple of years ago. And I detail what went down. I think it was fairly accurate. Um, and I did state opinions that I felt that Jeff was maliciously, uh, that he, you know, if there was an attempted murder, it was, uh, it was the Missouri State cops. Uh, against Jeff, not the other way around. And then um, I, um, I, like I said, I just mentioned the facts of the case that I, I felt it was selective malicious prosecution, trumped up charge, and uh, you know he's doing 30 years, um, and the severity of the sentence, considering the circumstances. That that's what I brought up basically on that previous show. You know. Okay. Okay, that works. That covers that covers uh, a good part of the events that have transpired with Jeffrey over the last three years. Oh, okay. And uh, we had some other guests in here, but I guess uh, there was some confusion too. Although um, one might be back in here. So, in other words, there's uh, not enough uh, uh, in here to do like any kind of question and answer session. I thought that political prisoner advocate, her name's, uh, I don't know if you know her, Lindsay uh, Brewster Samansky. I talked to her. She seemed uh, nice. She's been um, rallying uh, as a non-attorney for a number of uh, uh, people she calls political prisoners. I know she's been right outside of federal correctional facilities doing her YouTube shows. I thought uh, she was going to be in here. Yeah, you know, I, I looked at her. I looked at her last link. Yes, I know who you're referring okay. to. You, you posted. All right. So, um, okay. Do you want to like lead in the Winehouse case with the the facts? Uh, you know, from uh, from your angle, or uh, do you just want to discuss the uh, appeal? Well, what we can do. Well, let me ask you something. This is going to be recorded and rebroadcast. We can do it two ways. We can do it from a, uh, a question and answer perspective, where uh, you can ask me the questions, or I can give you general background on what's going on in the case, as well as the uh, uh, how we're proceeding with the appeal, and we can discuss the matter from that from that side of the coin. Uh, how would you? How would it be easier for your listeners to follow it through? Let me ask you. That. I don't know. Whenever I do these shows, Warren, I can call you Warren, right? Yeah. Uh, of course. Uh, okay, I I ad lib it. So if you want me to ask questions, uh, I'll do the best I can. And I've s stated uh, that we don't edit any of these shows either. 
Uh, what you see is what you get. So, and I have no notes in front of me, so I'm going to be doing it uh, uh, totally ad lib. Um, yeah, the facts is I really to sum it up as briefly as I can. I feel okay that Jeff we- Jeff Winehouse was an independent freelance journalist. Uh, a lot of this is what I stated in the last show. Uh, he was highly critical of uh, Missouri government officials and law enforcement. Um, obviously, they were upset by his uh, uh, his bulletin, internet bulletin. I think that's how he distributed it. That was highly critical of the former governor, Jay Nixon, and uh, government officials and and uh, law enforcement. That that's That's what it is. Uh, when I looked at it, I felt that he was within his free speech rights, and uh, this is it. It was free speech. You might not like what he says, but he had the right to say it. You know the drill on that. And um, Right, so one thing led to another, and he upset the officials and cops to the point where it looked like, to me, they, uh, their real goal was to confiscate the tools of his trade, uh, which would be what? Computers. And, uh, right, the pretext for um, um, getting his computers appeared to be some kind of search warrant um, at his house. Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, Bill. Yeah, go ahead. Here's how it unfolded. Jeffrey is is or was a freelance journalist, published a paper called The Bolton Man. Uh, He published the paper for an extended period of time uh, in and around the county in which he lived in Missouri. Okay, not uncommon. People put out bulletins. It's been a traditional way of communicating with people for, you know, for forever as far as America's concerned. Mm-hmm. He also used YouTube, other avenues of communication, other ways of, of, of expanding his listener base, representing his positions, and, and, and bringing his thoughts and comments to the forefront. He was vitriolic. He was a fire and brimstone. The best way to describe it is he was a good old-fashioned fire and brimstone preacher. You know, hell and damnation, no matter how you wanted to cut it or what you wanted to describe it as. He used some statements in a, in a, in a position piece that he presented in August of 2000. Forgive me if my, my time is off a little bit. It was in 2011, 2012, that, that window right there. Uh, he made some comments. He made some statements that, yeah, it made your blood cringe a little bit. It made your skin crawl. It was so maybe a little bit maybe a little bit too much for the average individual to just simply accept as commonplace, because it wasn't. But the matter was real simple. He never called for physical harm to be, called, to, to be brought upon people. He never called for a rally of people to cause physical harm. He never stepped over the line of political speech and free speech to the point in which his actions would have been considered pre, uh, preeminent to a, a physical harm. He made comments, he made statements, and those comments and statements were used against him in trial. But here's what happened after he made those statements. Within a, with, within a Nat's eyelash, in terms of a time frame, uh, Jeffrey was visited by two Missouri Highway Patrolmen. These two Missouri Highway, the two Missouri Highway State uh, police officers uh, visited his home. They knocked on his front door. Uh, and when they knocked on his door, he was asked to... Uh, step outside to have a conversation with him, which he did. Now, this, both from his description and from their description, his front stoop of his house, uh, his entranceway, 
was narrow and very difficult to, well, if you listen from the, the cops' point of view, it was difficult to uh, defend against, or di- uh, difficult to advance upon, but very easy to defend against. But in, in essence, it was a small home and a small entryway. Okay, fine. They went over to his truck. They had a conversation with him for probably 20 minutes or half an hour, if not more. They concluded at the time that he wasn't a threat to himself. He wasn't a threat to anybody else. He was simply exercising his positions. Well, that would have been all well and good. The issue probably would have ended there. But what happened was one cop swore up and down that he smelled marijuana. Now, unlike 20-plus other states in the union that have decriminalized marijuana for one purpose or another, Missouri still hasn't done it. It's right. It's position. I'm not going to argue that. The point was they used that as a, pre- as a pretext to get a search warrant, which, by the way, took them about four hours to get. During, mm-hmm. that, period, during that period of time, they didn't let him back in his house. So here we are having a, going for a search warrant. They wouldn't let him back in his house. They left an officer there to babysit him. From what Jeffrey has told me, he was handcuffed because well, he wanted back in his house. And they said no. Well, last time I checked, if a cop handcuffs you and refuses to let you go anywhere, you're under arrest. So we've got, mm-hmm. we've got issues there. Uh, the pretext was to locate narcotics. And they found uh, one and a half pills of morphine and about an ounce of marijuana. If you add the whole thing up, at worst, it would have been a two-and-a-half-year sentence Possibly a felony if he had convicted. If he had pled to it, it may have been six months, slap on a wrist and be a ba- and take care of himself. But no. They used that to search his entire house and confiscate his computers, his printers, whatever cameras he had, etc. Except for the firearm they found in his bedroom. And that firearm would come to haunt him. His wife, at the time, had a, a 9 millimeter pistol and a flap holster in the bedroom, upstairs in the bedroom. You would think most people would think that if you're looking for drugs and you believe the man is in possession of narcotics and you've confiscated evidence that you believe to be narcotics, that you take a firearm that you find in a house. Even if right. you were wrong, returned it later. Nope. They left the gun. Okay, fine. That's what you did. A couple weeks later, after Jeffrey has worked diligently to get his materials returned to him, materials as in his computers and his printers and all the stuff of his trade, he gets a phone call from one of the officers. One of the officers calls him and says to him, hey, let's meet at so-and-so place. I have your stuff. I want to return it to you. This is about four weeks later. Well, the place that they chose to meet was a local gas station. Okay. I asked the question simply, why didn't you just simply tell me to come to the police station and I'll pick up my computers there to the property clerk's office or whatnot? Or how about this? Why don't you knock on my front door and return the stuff to me and be a nice guy about it and say, hey, listen, we're sorry, but I guess it didn't work out that way. Jeffrey was concerned of his, about his well-being. He was concerned about himself being made an example of and was looking for people in between to go with him to be witnesses to the event. He was unsuccessful. But his wife had purchased for him a... Excuse me. His wife had purchased for him a video watch that recorded video and audio that he was wearing on his wrist, on his left wrist, during up to and after the altercation. 
The officers were not aware of it. It was part of his, uh, you know, his personal jewelry, so to speak. And they visited him. They met him at the gas station. Twelve seconds after he exits the car, takes approximately eight, maybe ten steps. Six rounds are fired from the Missouri Highway Patrolman, four of which strike him, head, the neck, twice in the chest. And Jeff goes down like a sack of potatoes. If you read the depositions or if you listen to what the officers described, they thought he was dead. He went down, bam. I would expect you to go down, bam, if a guy shot me four times from about 10 feet away. Mm -hmm. I don't probably expect myself to be dead if somebody shot me from 10 feet away four times. But it turns out that this cop may not have been exactly doing what he was supposed to be doing and may have panicked. Now, I'm not making light of it. I'm not making less of it. I am not going to say that it was an accident. I'm simply going to point out the simple facts that if you've ever fired a Glock-style weapon, which is a striker-fired handgun, if you get what was referred to as a bite, where the two rails come back and cut across the web of your hand, there's only one reason that happens. You're not holding a gun right. Well, that officer got a cut across his hands from that gun going off, which leads me to believe that either he wasn't trained properly or the man panicked. And after he fired the first round, he continued to fire in hopes that he was cleaning up his own mess. Now, after Jeffrey goes down, and some time goes by, I'm not exactly sure. I haven't sat there and watched with a pencil on a video, but it may have been 10 or 15 or even 20 minutes. The uh, the emergency services show up, uh, ambulance shows up, and they realize he's not dead. So they pack him up and they ship him off to the hospital all the time not realizing that he's got a recording going on in his wrist. And this recording continues. Later on, we find out that they find out about the recording. But I guess facts don't really matter in some instances because it was said several times by the officers that Jeffrey was carrying a 9mm pistol and a flap holster on his right-hand side. Now, I've never worn a uniform whether it be a civilian, a police officer, or military. But I do know for a simple fact that a flap-style holster is not designed to be used as a quick-draw device. It's designed for retention. As a matter of fact, the holster he was using is a typical military-style holster he probably bought from a, a supply store, an excess store, to carry his 9mm in. It was a flap-style. You had to pull a, uh, a ring off the front all the way down to snap it open, and then you had to move the and then draw the weapon. Basically, a two-handed pull. Right. Holton was designed to keep a gun attacked and attached to the person being thrown from an aircraft. So if you can imagine what kind of speed is going past you when you're being dropped out of an airplane at 10,000 feet, you'd understand what this thing was designed to keep in place. They say he was wearing it on his right-hand side. They say in about 500-plus words that after he stepped out of the car, he bladed himself, which means he turned his body... Uh, to produce his uh, his profile, snapped his holster and went to draw his weapon. Man exchanged eight or ten words with the officer when he got out of the car, and nothing after I have a right to have a gun. Wound up getting shot. 
photograph that later would well the photograph that will prove that Jeffrey was carrying a weapon on his left side in a vertical style, which is in contrast to the <clears throat> depositions and to the live testimony, is a frame pull from the video that shows a left a big old blob on the left hand side of Jeffrey's body. And the only way we know that is because it's taken from a reflection in a rear window, the rear window or light fixture of his uh, little Zuzu he was driving. It's a reflection. It was, it was evidence that was presented during trial, but never formally introduced by his attorney, which means the jury never got to see it a second time. And when they asked for it, the judge, said, the judge denied it because it wasn't properly introduced. The video, which shows Jeffrey being shot, was actually used to convict him, which I'm not really sure how that worked out myself because I've seen it, and the only reason I'm involved in this case is because of that video. Now, moving further on, other things developed. Not only was Jeffrey tried and convicted of numerous counts, one of which involves the attempted murder of a police officer during crime. But if we, negate, if we ignore the drug charges, which at this point in time have been served out and are basically void because he served his time, he's done. During the trial, the very thing that, was, that had gotten him into trouble in the first place, which was the video he produced that was... Uh, questioned by one of the local judges who thought that he was the target of Jeffrey's, uh, let's just say, fire and brimstone. Charges were dropped by the court. The video had already been shown. The jury was not told, other than the fact that they had no, they didn't have to make a decision on the on the charge. But they had already seen the video. Now, most of these people were average, everyday individuals, and probably were like cringing at the words, but we have to remember, freedom of speech was not there to protect something that you agree with, it's there to protect the political positions of those you don't agree with. Whether you agree with it or not, that's the facts. So there were problems involving his conviction, there were problems involving his trial, there were problems involving the competence of the very lawyer that he paid to be there. The two FBI agents, which I didn't mention until now, were deposed. Two FBI agents were asked by the Missouri Highway Patrol to be backup because they worked with the Drug Enforcement Division of the Missouri Highway Patrol. These two agents were with an eye shot of the events. Their deposition testimony indicates that Jeffrey got out of the car and, as one officer put it, made a beeline for the other. Remember, he thought he was getting his computers back. His car was, his rear end of his car was faced theirs. He was going to open his trunk, put his computers in, and drive off. He didn't want to see hide nor hair of these people ever again. Those FBI agents were never called as witnesses. They were taken off the state's witness list, but they were never on the witness list of the defense team. So those, their testimony was never brought in. Their testimony would have undermined and challenged the testimony of the two MHP officers, whose testimony, by the way, reads like somebody had written it down for them and had them read it. So I just... Briefly to interrupt, you're saying that's what, a due process violation or something? Constitutional? Well, no. You have a lot of constitutional grounds that you're going to appeal. There's, there are, well, I was going over this before this conversation this afternoon. 
I've got challenges on constitutional issues ranging from the First Amendment, Second Amendment, Fourth, mm-hmm. substantive due process under the Fifth, um, the Fourteenth as well, because there are state issues involving here, the Sixth for, for uh, ineffective assistance of counsel and various right. and the Eighth Amendment, which is cruel and unusual punishment. Now, you might be saying, well, what's cruel and unusual at this point? The man was shot during an arrest, and he went to trial. Well, have you ever heard of a device called a stun cuff? No. Okay. Most of us haven't, luckily. You have heard of a taser, right? Yes. Okay. What does a taser do? Taser is usually a, uh, what they refer to as a, um, a non-deadly weapon used by an officer to subdue a suspect without actually putting holes in the person. Well, a stun cuff is a device that is affixed to a person's body and either using one cuff or two, either to the ankle or the forearm, with a remote control in the hands of an officer. And when it goes off, it sends roughly 80,000 volts to a person's body in an on-off pattern, enough to basically make a grown man cry, wet himself, lose control of his bowels, uh, and pretty much make himself into a big pile of goo. Now, they use these things in place of shackles in some places. The argument about shackles is this. It is legal, it is proper, and it is appropriate to shackle a defendant during a trial if a person happens to be violent and a threat to his defense team, a threat to the decorum in a courtroom, a threat to the judge, a threat to the jury. We've seen trials of people like this. We understand that they have to do something to protect us when you turn around and find six, eight, or ten marshals in a room and there's one guy sitting there. He's a bad person, and he's proven he's a bad person, and he needs to just simply behave. I get it. Okay, there, is, there, there is evil. And being a good person in general, whether you appreciate it or not, sometimes you have to draw the line. But here's the thing. There are no standards to use a stun cuff at all. There are no standards on how they're used. If you shackle somebody, the shackles aren't supposed to be seen by the jury. You can shackle a person to the defense table. You can shackle them to the chair. You can shackle their ankles so they don't run away. But as long as the defense, as long as the jury doesn't see it, it is considered constitutional and appropriate behavior as long as it's justifiable. They don't have those restrictions on stun devices. And stun devices are not fun. So here we are, Jeff, who's a general loudmouth, who's only crime at this point was the fact that he had he spoke up politically against people who well, thought he was an overt threat to the political positions in Missouri. And a Franklin County Sheriff's Department, a month before his trial, acquires a stun cuff device. Oh, by the way, if you Google stun cuff, S-T-U-N-N-T-U-F-F, mm-hmm. you will see the device that was put on. It's about 1500 bucks. Comes with a remote control, charging unit, a couple of rubber bands that attach it to the person's body, and you can watch the videos on how well it works. Let's just say it's I, effective. 
I have a question briefly. Now, that, uh, under certain circumstances, can be a deadly weapon, correct? Uh, what I'm thinking is, with that high a voltage, if you have a lot of fluid in your body, that can uh, you can have enough current to uh, potentially kill you, right? Or, let, in this case, Jeff, that's interesting. Let's put it this way. The issue of whether or not it could kill him or not is irrelevant. Seriously. It matters not whether or not he could or could not die of it. I could shoot you point blank, and you could or could not die, depending upon the size of the caliber, the placement of the round, the impact of the bullet, what you're wearing, and a thousand different other things that go on. Right, it, right. That doesn't make a difference. What makes a difference is this. There's a person standing there with a control button that I don't know what thresholds I'm, I'm supposed to face. I don't know what behaviors are considered acceptable. I don't know when the judge is going to have a burp is behind and say, stun him. I don't know if the guy is going to decide he wants to see how well I can flap like a fish on the floor. Mm-hmm. I am mentally being restrained, and I am being, and my rights under, my substantive rights, not my, not my, not my regular, you know, facial due process rights because I'm in a courtroom. My ability to actually participate in my own defense it's being limited and restricted because I'm being mentally handcuffed. Well, okay. All right. Uh, that's what happened to Jeff. He got himself in a position. Well, he got himself in a position, but the situation unfolded where he was restricted from that. And those are one of the arguments. That's my Eighth Amendment claim. It also falls back on the Sixth Amendment, the due process, substance process claim. Those are issues that we're, that we're investigating and those are issues that we're flushing out. This is his his case is not easy. He has raised personally, as his uh, on his own behalf, he attempted to raise the ineffective assistance of counsel argument. Didn't fly. Didn't succeed. It wasn't properly presented to the court. They couldn't make a decision on it. He had all the facts. He had all the data, but the court ruled against him because most people who are not professionals in a legal environment. Don't understand you have to take a court and lead them to an answer, to a conclusion. You can give them all the facts you want, but if you don't bring them to the conclusion, it doesn't work. He's asked them for a a review. He's asked them for an appeal. He's asked them for various other state-related matters, and he's gotten absolutely nowhere. But he has, in effect, exhausted his appeals. Now, you mentioned this in the very beginning. The exhausted appeals are fine if we go to a habeas petition. But I'm not stepping in, I'm not even bringing the issue of a habeas petition up at this point. Because under the current structure and the current rules that apply to habeas petitions, you get one bite at the apple. And in order to get a second one, you have to have a really big issue. And Jeffrey's got several of them. So what I'm doing is this. We're raising money to actually bring his case to the federal district court. We're arguing that under, we're arguing that both under the state and federal constitutions, his rights were violated. The procedural rights were violated. The substantive rights were violated. The, the his rights in relating to what I laid out before: the first, the second, the fourth, the fifth, the sixth, the eighth, as well as Missouri constitutional matters and statutory rights were violated. And when your constitutional rights have been violated, 
you could bring the matter directly to federal court. The other reason we want to bring it to federal court is fairly simple. It's not state court. It's not the state judges. I don't have to fight my way through state court to raise the argument to go to the Supreme Court if necessary. If I get myself bounced at a, at a district court, I can go to the appellate division. If I'm not successful with the appellate division, I can apply directly to the Supreme Court for superiority. But here's the thing. One of the biggest issues happens to be the Eighth Amendment argument, the Sixth Amendment and the Fifth Amendment argument relating to that stun device. Because I did a Freedom of Information Act request that if the Missouri Highway Patrol, Franklin County Sheriff's Department, and the Attorney General's Office. And I got a response from the Attorney General's Office saying, well, we don't have any procedures on that. And I got one from the, from the Missouri Highway Patrol. We don't have anything on that. The only one that came back was the Franklin County Sheriff's Department. Um, and to my knowledge, they didn't even follow the procedures they had laid out. Okay, uh, just briefly, um, I, this is a new aspect, so I'm really glad you did this show. This stun gun uh, uh, with really no rules and procedures attached to it. What are you saying with him having that on him, that it affected him mentally so much, worrying about getting blasted with that thing, that he couldn't effectively assist in his own defense or something? That's one of the major Okay, all right. That's one of the major arguments. The other one was that he was subject to cruel and unusual punishment without being convicted of a crime. Okay, no, you're real creative. That's, that's, again, like I said, Warren, that's a new aspect that I, I didn't know anything about that. I know what stun guns are, basically. I didn't know anything about this stun cuff. So thank you very much for bringing that out, you know. Well, you're welcome. The stun, actually, the stun cuff devices um, are rather creative, to be perfectly honest with you. There are stun cuffs. There are stun belts. There are stun vests. Um, and these devices are designed to cause people, basically, to stop, to comply. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, most of the world, most of the civilized world, considers these devices tools of torture. Really? Yeah. But there is no relevant legislation or approach to which their use in the United States. And therein lies our problem. Now, mind you, if we've got a guy, I mean, one of the arguments relating to shackling has to do one of the one of the Supreme Court cases involving shackling involves a guy I believe it was either Missouri or Ohio who murdered five people came across the state line wound up shooting two or three cops while he was getting himself arrested shooting one of his own cohorts that was trying to get him out of the whole fix and then argued that he was shackled to the defense table because it violated his due process rights and the judge looked at him and said you know what you're a threat to me your attorney, the prosecutor, and everybody else in this courtroom. And he went right up to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court said, nope, as long as the, def- as long as the jury could not see it, you could be made to testify from the defense table and shackle. Here's the thing. The, the Supreme Court's issue went to shackles. Shackles are a physical device. They're annoying. They're uncomfortable. They may even cause wounds or, or, or marks. 
but they are not something that works on you mentally. And a stun right. device attached to your body that can be set off by anybody else. You show me an individual who is so self-confident that they can take an 80,000-volt shock up their leg that they're not going to care what somebody else is doing with the little control button. Well, last time I checked, there isn't somebody like that. You're right. Yep. And therein lies the because they love to show these manufacturers, these cops, trying these devices on, see how fast they can run across the room or see how fast they can get out of a chair or see how fast they can stand up after being zapped. No, it doesn't work that way. So there you go. Yeah, uh, no, that's really interesting, this uh, this mental anguish and torture aspect that that he wouldn't have suffered if he had just routinely been shackled, you know, that's bad enough. I, I can see your point. So that's real creative. That's real creative law there. I wanted to ask Warren, what uh, appellate court, if uh, you have to appeal, uh, has jurisdiction in this case? I believe it's the fourth. I believe it's okay. the fourth of appeals. So what district court are you going to be in um, uh, initially when you file? uh, uh, What is going to be filed first? Well, I know it's going to be in the U.S. District Court. It'll be filed in the U.S. District Court for the Southern District, uh, or the the Southern or Eastern District of Missouri. I believe it's going to be District of Missouri. There'll be a a, a complaint for... um, There'll be a complaint relating to um, the constitutional violations asking for declaratory relief that the charges, I'm sorry, not the charges, but that the trial be vacated. That the conviction was procured under, um, I'll use the term duress, but not specifically, not particularly duress, but it was procured under a multitude of violations of Jeffrey's uh, constitutional rights. Okay. Now, and you're going to post uh, all the pleadings right on your website, warrenmarkowitzesq.com? After they're filed, when they're docketed, will be filed. They will be posted. Oh, yeah, and I know you can get them from Pacer, but it'll be a lot easier uh, if they're on your site. Now, I did want to, t- I, I did want to tell you to update uh, uh, what I told you last night. Warren Markowitz, ESQ.com, as of about an hour and a half, two hours ago, I still could not access. That is correct. Uh, I be- now, we have hyped uh, this interview all over the place, I and some others. I have posted it on my blog. My blog is Modern Lawyer. Dot wordpress.com. <clears throat> okay, let me write that down. Um, and I'm going to check your website before we conclude, see if I can no. pull it up. Um, you can't. Oh. Stop for a second. My yeah. website is not available at the moment. There is, a DNS, okay. there is a DNS problem. There is not a hacking problem. The All DNS, right. DNS problem related to I changed... Um, the DNS, which is the, name, the domain name service, the way you actually find it manually because I wanted to take it off of 
Uh, my service provider is DNS, and I wanted to take it off of Google in terms of um, I wanted to use a free and open DNS service that did not log uh, inquiries. Okay. And, and, I, and if you'll pardon me for saying so, I screwed it up. I should have the problem. <laughs> I should uh, have the appreciate your honesty, you know. Um, well, my email, as you notice, my email works fine. Yeah, okay. My email works fine. The domain names are okay. The DNS on my email is set to a different service. I likely screwed up the DNS setting it up on a, on a website. So the problem it happens to be, I should have that issue resolved sometime tomorrow. It, uh, the, the, the bad thing about using computers is that, A, you can get information almost instantaneously, sometimes when you don't want it. And B, when you have a problem, it usually takes 24 to 48 hours to fix. <laughs> All right, yeah, right. So, and, and you've exonerated, at least in this case, the CIA, <clears throat> Trump, uh, Missouri officials, whatever, uh, whoever. Uh, and thanks a lot. I need that uh, website again. It's modernlawyer.something. My, web, my website, my blog is a WordPress-hosted blog. Okay. Uh, it, is, it is under the term modern lawyer, M-O-D-E-R-N, lawyer, L-A-W-Y-E-R, dot wordpress dot com. Okay. My Facebook page is the Markwood Law Firm. Uh, All right. I believe if I remember, it would be facebook.com slash W-R-M-E-S-Q should take you to the page. And Twitter, right. is, and Twitter is okay. at RMESQ. Twitter at WRMESQ. Okay. All right. Yeah, that, um, I have enough notes here, so I'll be able to find all of that. That's good. Okay. So, uh, what I've been doing is I've been posting to my blog. If I post to my blog, my blog posts in a news feed on my website. So everything has been posted including this interview and this schedule and the follow-up link that I hope that you will provide me will eventually, will eventually appear in my website when things get corrected. Oh, good. Um, okay. So I think this came out well. Like I said, you brought out this uh, stun cuff. I'd never even heard of these things. And I, uh, I didn't know the voltage was that high. I have an electronics background from way back when uh, I used to work as a tech, an engineering tech. Okay, and and I can see where you're going with that on the appeal. That's real creative. I compliment you. <clears throat> Weaving hey. that into some type of constitutional violation, or I guess the basis of what? The declaratory judgment uh, you plan on bringing. Action. Well, the action is going to be for a declaratory judgment that his rights have been violated. Um, do I expect the state of Missouri, the Missouri Highway Patrol, the uh, uh, the the, uh, the is it the ERDC, East DDC, Eastern Regional Correction Center, or right that Bonterre? Yeah, Jeffrey. That Jeffrey makes his home to roll over and play dead. No, I don't. Do I expect? Um, do I expect a full throttle balls to the walls defense because of the matter? No, actually I don't. Because 
with all due respect to law enforcement, and I have friends that are police officers, and I have friends that are attorneys, and I have friends that are involved in politics. What's right is right. What's wrong is wrong. Now, I'm not raising issues of whether or not what Jeffrey did was right or wrong. I'm simply saying that what Jeffrey did was within the constitutional authorities and rights of an individual. I'm saying that the matters that proceeded after his arrest and before his arrest violated the rights and protections that we have for us, average everyday individual. It's not about Jeff. I hate to say this. I mean, I, Jeffrey and I have become relatively close over the last six months that I have been working on his case. I respect the man. I understand the man. Uh, but the issue is not necessarily about Jeff per se. The matter happens to be if they could do it to him, they could do it to anyone. Well, that's what we've been getting out. This is what we try to impress upon people. It's like, you know, the ones that say, oh, that's Missouri, uh, this and that. I'm on the West Coast. I'm on the East Coast. <clears throat> Hello. Uh, they can do about- the same thing to you, <laughs> you know. It's not funny. I mean, what happened to him? No, it's yeah. not funny. It's not funny at all. But let me let me explain to you how um, intertwined events are that occur. We've all heard of the term Miranda, right? Well, you read the Miranda warnings, yeah, right? Did he Miranda you? Do you know where that comes from? That comes from the. Um, uh, well, it, it, Miranda was a uh, defendant. Uh, it came out of something involving him, right? That's right. It was in the 1960s, an individual right. that was arrested in Arizona. Ernesto, uh, right, Arizona. He was arrested in Arizona. He was denied his constitutional protections, and it went right up to the Supreme Court, at which, that, at which time they turned around and said, as an individual who was arrested, you have to be provided with Notification of certain rights, the right to remain silent, the right to an attorney, the right to refuse to speak against yourself, so on and so forth. So much so, the event has been so pervasive in society that the English courts, now we don't really talk about foreign courts when we talk about U.S. law because we think we're the shit. We think we're the end-all, be-all. And to be perfectly honest with you, we are. Are we perfect? Hell no. Do we have our problems? Damn straight. We're talking about one really big one right now. But, mm-hmm. when, we, but when it comes to making an impact on the on on protections of the rights of the innocent and the guilty, for that matter, American jurisprudence goes a lot further than anybody else in any other place in this world because it got so – the idea of Miranda became so in ingrained and enshrined in culture that movies and television shows like Law and Order had such an impact on the English courts, they had to create a similar process in England because when people were being arrested, they were demanding their Miranda rights. Now, there are, there are differences, such as if you don't talk about it when you're in England, if you don't talk about it during your interview or your interrogation, you can't use it as part of your defense. There are, there are quirks in it. But the point is this. Whether it be Miranda from the 1960s about our basic rights, whether it be the issues involving shackling defendant, whether it be the issues involving such as in Nevada. Up until about two years ago, if you got stopped in Nevada, 
a DUI, they can drag your ass out of the car, they can stick a needle in you, and they can draw your blood. And they did it regularly until somebody decided to push the buttons and they recognized the fact that if you don't have a warrant, you can't use it and you can't take it. Meaning Pardon? what, it's an illegal search and seizure or something? That, that's, correct. that's correct. Without a warrant, a blood okay. legal search and seizure. Now, I can guarantee you one thing. It may not happen tomorrow. It may not happen next year. It may not happen for a decade. But you're going to see that change affecting a lot of places in a lot of states in the union because of it. Because the law does not simply be, is not simply compartmentalized. It affects our lives all over. And this matter with Jeffrey is extremely important because, you know what? We can be held to be having a conspiracy to attack the government just by our conversation we had today. We can be held to have conspired to discuss avenues that would impact the government's authority over us. My attitude is fairly simple. Guilty as charged. Yeah. Um, Well, what I do here today and what we do going forward for Jeffrey is not just about what the government can or cannot do. It's about the rights that we have, the rights that are being protected, the rights that are being advanced. Because if you don't advance and protect and use the rights that we have, we will lose them. And there, my friend, is the problem. I firmly believe that. I, I really do. And uh, despite the circumstances, the times I've talked to Jeff, uh, he sounds remarkably good, considering his circumstances. I, I don't know what how you feel about that. Um, and I'm happy for that. I believe it's because he has some hope. You know, and after uh, talking to you tonight here, I can see why he's got hope. You're being real creative and thorough in this uh uh, the declaratory judgment, is that considered an appeal or that's no. not, right? Okay. The, the, best part about the, the, the best part about the process and the choice of action that I've, that I've laid out is it's not appealing anything. It's advancing the rights, the constitutional rights that he has and challenging the actions of the government to have, having had violated them. And it's not an appeal. Oh, right, but you can appeal the uh, ruling uh, if it's adverse on the declaratory judgment, right? Well, that's correct. Also, okay. the, declaratory, the declaratory judgment can be converted to a complaint for a, fu- for a full litigation package, you know, where everything gets rolled out and all the evidence gets laid out and all the, all the matters get argued and so forth. So, yes, it's, not, it's a start, it's not a finish. Okay, right, and you intend to finish it, uh, if necessary, in the U.S. Supreme Court. So uh, I respect you for I, that. I really do. I intend to do just that, and I intend, with all due respect to yourself, your listeners, and everybody else, to be able to do it and to be able to afford to do it. Because I, with the, over the last six months, while we have gotten the roughly $1,000 from his supporters, the time, the effort, the resources, and everything else that has gone into this has come off of me. Now, this is not saying this is bad. This is simply saying that under the Equal Access to Justice Act, EA, uh, Equal Access to Equal uh, EALA, right? Uh, if we are successful, my time will be compensated by the federal government. Believe it or not, 
And you deserve it, I feel, uh, for protecting uh, the Constitution and uh, really for everybody, not just for Jeff. And you said it, you said it respectfully uh, that in certain uh, aspects, uh, what am I trying to say? Uh, it goes beyond Jeff personally, even though I feel I can tell that you care about him, uh, you know, on a human level. Okay. I do. And I do. I also get the impression that Warren Markowitz is not getting rich on this. <laughs> okay. And, uh, uh, no. You know, this, this is not big bucks lawyering, which it could I'll, be, right? I'll, I'll be extremely blunt on this one. Uh, I have a family. I have financial obligations of my own. Uh, and I have a wife. And, uh, you know, I have my wife, my three kids, so my obligations and so forth. And I have done everything I possibly could to make sure that my, the, you know, appropriate resources have been dedicated to this and that the rest of my practice has been pushing forward to help support this because that's where I am. I mean, what I'd like, to be honest with you, what I'd really like to see is to raise an additional $5,000 over the next 60 days, and that $5,000 will be used to pay for the filing of the legal, ma- uh, legal matters, uh, put a few dollars in my pocket so that I can justify my costs and expenses of conversation. Of course. Yeah, of course. And get my, if you'll pardon me for being blunt, get my ass to Missouri to stand in front of Jeffrey and shake his hand to let him know that we are moving this forward. Well, that's nice of you. That really is. Uh, I hope you don't get false. And I'm just joking around. You don't get falsely arrested. (laughs) God forbid imprisoned out there. No, I mean, I'm sure there's good people uh, in Missouri. Uh, when you look at the facts of this case, you begin to scratch your head and wonder, you know. <laughs> I mean, I had no idea that this state was uh, as corrupt and tainted as it is. I mean, you know, at least in Jeff's case. Um, I am not. Go ahead. With all due respect to yourself and to your listeners, I am not the one who keeps look, who looks for a you know a corrupt politician. They're usually pretty obvious. I'm right. not one. Okay. For, I'm not one that looks for a dirty cop. They're generally pretty obvious. Uh, I am one that looks for the you know the the, obli- the individual who follows the obligations that his office has provided them. We 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 you me. Uh, everybody, our neighbors, our friends, our families, even our elected officials, we expect a certain level of dignity, responsibility, and professionalism from the people that we hire. Notice how I didn't say simply elect, but hire to do a job. It's when they don't do their job properly and when they don't do their job in accordance with the law and the rules and the obligations that their office provides that, my friend, is where the problem lies. Do you, um, after you're done, I, I had a quick uh, question. Jeff- you may not want to answer it. Uh, and, it's, and in Jeffrey's I, case, and in yeah. Jeffrey's, I'm not looking at dirty cops, and I'm not looking at dirty judges, and I'm not making accusations. I'm simply saying this. They conducted themselves improperly in accordance with their office. 
They conducted mm-hmm. themselves illegally in some instances in accordance with their office. The truth will come out. The matter will be resolved. As a matter of fact, the officer who shot Jeffrey, not by anything I did, not by anything he did or anything like that, is no longer in uniform. Exactly. He appears to have disappeared. If, if, if they're so clean, uh, why is this, has this cop disappeared? This, you know, I say disappeared. Uh, uh, that's an exaggeration. But if everything's so straight up and Jeff is so guilty, why is the cop gone? I believe his name was what, Folsom? Um, with all due respect, I tend to confuse the two officers that were involved in the shooting. Okay, okay. I, I, uh, but, I, but I agree with you. If he did, if his job was done by the numbers and by the book, there's no reason. Uh, there's no reason why he shouldn't be still in uniform. Exactly. I mean, he if uh, he he could be on a show like this, <laughs> you know, if he's so clean. Now here, that's where my uh, the question I wanted to ask: Do you uh, believe that? Uh, the state police agent, uh, whatever his title was, lieutenant sergeant, uh, reasonably feared for his life. You know, he, you know, you know the standard, and uh, reasonably believed that Jeff was going to kill him. No, and to just okay, you said that quickly, decisively. No. I, I don't either. I don't either. I'll tell you why, and I will. And I, I will tell you why. I will share it with you because it is going to go into the papers. As I said when this whole thing started, okay, I've been carrying a gun. I am, I am 49 years old. I took possession of my first firearm in New York State at 21. Actually, technically, it was almost 22 because at 21 years old, you have a background, of course, that every cop in the world is curious about. But it took them nine months to issue me my pistol license. But I have had a weapon in my hands for 27 years. And I know, and everybody who fires a handgun will know, and anybody who's ever owned a weapon such as a Glock will tell you, you only get bit by those guns for two reasons. You're not holding it right, and you're not holding it right. So we have police incompetence, too. Well, here's the thing. There's where your training issue comes in. He may have been improperly trained. He may have drawn the weapon and then panicked. He may have done a thousand different things. Now, will it come out? Most of it will eventually come out, as I said. The bottom line is this. He wouldn't have gotten bit by that gun if he didn't panic fire the first round. Or if he didn't incompetently fire the first round drawing his gun. So do you I, think there was an intent? This is re-arguing the facts, I realize. And you're, uh, you're going above that. Um, uh, that that he intended to uh, uh, hit Jeff in the head. Well, I don't know, because six rounds were fired and only four landed on target. Okay. Well, what, what do you mean? What was the target, do you think? Well, Jeff was the target. His, See, the guy, well, his right. Is, his guy, or his, his, when you, when his you body. A, when you draw a gun, the guy standing in front of you is generally the target. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Now, my guess, my guess, my guess is that the rounds that hit Jeff in the head and the throat were follow-on shots, and that the two rounds that actually landed on target were the chest rounds. 
Okay. Okay. Well, I am not formally trained. I have taken classes. I have learned how to use my weapons and so forth. You aim for center mass. Now, let's get some perspective here. Jeff is about five foot ten, about one hundred and fifty pounds, max maybe, maybe one sixty. Okay, he's what we generally refer to as a string bean. I, on the other hand, are three a six foot. I, on the other hand, are about six foot four and closer to four bills than not. Now, if you're going to shoot either one of us, you're going to shoot the biggest part of our bodies. The biggest part of our bodies happens to be our chest. I think mm-hmm. what happens is this. After the first round went off, the follow-on shots were to the chest. Those two rounds to the chest caused him to drop. The neck and the head were subsequent shots as the body shifted in target. That's what I think happened. But I'm not looking to prove that they tried to shoot him in the head to kill him. I'm looking to prove that he shouldn't have fired his gun in the first place. Okay, good. And are you allowed, speaking of this, uh, in the declaratory judgment action that you're going to file, you can bring up some of these facts, correct or not? I can, but this is some of the facts that be brought up in the damage stage against the Missouri Highway Patrol and the state of Missouri. Okay. Um, no, this, this is uh, interesting. I really appreciate, I appreciate all this additional information. This, this case and the information I am sharing with you is very, very complicated. There are separate. There are separate, There are n- numbers of stages involved in here. The first one is the constitutional challenges to the conviction, the arrest, and all the processes that went along the line. Once that's done, once that is successfully accomplished, a 1983 action, a civil rights matter, will be raised against numerous defendants involved in this whole thing, and that's where Jeff will be compensated for his time. Yeah, really. Um... Do you feel that the mainstream press, even the alt, well, yeah, let's stick with the mainstream, um, are uh, are covering uh, this case up intentionally, um, or they they fear I, covering this case? No, I think they don't really care. I, I honestly think they don't care. They don't care. Okay, it's over. It's over. That that is sickening. That really is. I mean, That's I'm, where I'm, the it, it, go ahead. Well, here's the thing. The Bundy matter, the standoff that occurred in 2014. Standoff. If you saw the evidence, you'd you'd laugh about it. The standoff that occurred in 2014. The subsequent arrests in 2016. The trials, the first set of the trials that are about to end now. How much do you really read in the newspaper? How much do you actually see? How much are you actually hearing? You'll hear whether or not... Yeah, go ahead. You'll hear whether or not they're convicted. You'll hear whether or not they are convicted or whether or not some of them are convicted. You'll hear about the charges. You'll hear about the number of witnesses caused, called and the, number of, the amount of time it's taken. But when do you, what, what do you really know about what's going on in that courtroom? Nothing. Next to nothing. No. Exactly. Nothing. No, right. It's not fancy. It's not screaming. It doesn't shout blood. It doesn't shout guts. It's not fancy. And there, okay, yeah, it is what it is. It is okay. What it is. Um, this has been good. This has been very informative, and I wish you well with the declaratory judgment. I'm I'm assuming you're you're doing some preliminary research, but it 
I don't know if you have a rough draft, so you probably have it framed in your head, right? Uh, and I've got a combination of both. It's going to take me a little bit more time than I anticipated. Okay, well, I wish you well, Warren. I really do. Um, is there any more you wanted to bring out in this particular show or, or not? The only thing I'd like to bring out is that at present, uh, support can be provided through FundedJustice.com. Look for the Winehouse campaign. And, what is uh, that again? Funded Justice. F-U-N-D-E-D Justice.com. Okay, you, cool. All right. That information. Uh, and you can find wine. You just Google one. You just put Winehouse in there. You can follow the le- you can follow the links off my website, and you can follow and you can find the information on my blog. Any support provided through that those avenues are being used to help with the case right now. Okay, and you're gonna take this archived MP3 from tonight, and you said do something with it, right? So I hope I didn't screw it up too bad. <laughs> I'm glad you got in here finally. Bill, um, I, appreciate, I appreciate your courtesy. I appreciate the opportunity. And I appreciate the, the time we spent together. I thank you very, very much. Uh, I will be posting this by tomorrow if you provide it to me tonight. Um, yeah, uh, you'll be able to, uh, within, I'd say, 20 minutes or so after I um, – and terminate this. That's a technical thing in the control box. Give it 20 minutes or so. You might want to restart your laptop. Maybe you're going to look at it from a iPhone or something. It'll be up there. And on the talkshoe.com forward slash TC forward slash um, whatever that I, the ID number for this is. All you got to do is right click when you get to that site. Copy link. Thank you very much. I appreciate your time. Okay, sir. Uh, have a real good evening, Warren, and I wish you well. We'll talk again. Thank you very much. All Thanks. Right. Have a good evening.